Well, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let me encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. The Old Testament book of Proverbs. Hold your place there and then turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Proverbs 14. Hold your place there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at some other verses, but I want you to make sure that you hold your place at at those two verses. We're in week two of a series that we have called those people. I want you to say that with me. Those people. Now, and who are those people? Those people are those people that irritate us. They frustrate us. They aggravate us. They get under our skin. Those people are those people that we try to avoid when we see them before they see us. And what I've discovered about those people is this. We are those people. You are those people. I am those people. There are times that each and every one of us are those people. And so as we go through this series, don't look to your left or to your right and think, I hope they're listening to this. Look in the mirror and evaluate yourself. And let the Holy Spirit tell you what he wants to do in your life as we go through this series. Now, when it comes to those people, I have discovered that that God puts those people, when they're people other than us, in our path for a reason. Uh, They put us there to grow us, to develop us, to mature us. Even though we may not like it, even though we may not appreciate it at the time, God allows them into our life. I remember years ago, I was pastoring a church, and um, and it it was some very difficult times, had some some very negative people in the church, and, and over a period of time, those people left the church. And I was talking to my dad, who was one of my mentors, who was a pastor, and I I said this to my dad. I said, Dad, you know, I I think all those negative people have left the church now. And this is what my dad said to me. He said, well, son, God will give you some more. (laughs) And and I was was sitting there going, well, that's real encouraging. And, And what he said was this. He followed it up with this. He said, there are times that we need those negative people in our life. So that we will make sure that what we're doing is the right thing. Now, if you're here this morning, you go, well, that's my ministry. I'm one of those negative people. No, it's not. God doesn't want you to have that ministry. If that's your ministry, he wants you to grow and develop and mature beyond that. So that's not what God wants for you. Now, last week, we talked about those critical people. And... We discovered that there are two types of criticism. There is constructive criticism that that most often comes from people that have our best interest in mind. And the criticism is to build us up, to lift us up, to, to help us improve and develop. And then there is that unjust criticism, that, that criticism that is to tear us down and hurt us. And, and how we respond to the criticism 
will depend on what type of criticism it is and, and the situation that we're in. And we have to ask God to give us wisdom and direction. And last week, we discovered that there's sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to just be quiet and let God handle it. And, and God does intervene at times and handle the critic. There are times that, that God says, be quiet and let someone else handle it. Let someone else speak up and mature. Let someone else speak up on your behalf. But, but you be quiet. And then there are times that you cannot be quiet. God says you have to confront the critic. But what we discovered is, regardless of the situation and regardless of the type of criticism, we are always to be in a spirit of prayer. We're to be in a spirit of prayer so that we will learn from the critic, regardless of their intentions, that we will have the right spirit in how we respond to the critic. And we're praying that God will work in the life of the critic. And so we're always praying. But today, as we move into week week two, I want us to talk about those chronically needy people, those needy people. And here's the truth. The truth is the world is filled with needy people. Would you agree with that? Amen? Amen. The world is filled with needy people. And even God said that. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11, it says it this way. It says there will always, say that word always, always. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you. Say that word, command. Command. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy. Say that word, needy. The needy in the land. So God says you will always have people who are needy. And I command you, I command you to help them. You see, the Bible teaches that no matter what we do, there are going to always be needy people in the land. No amount of social programming, no amount of financial redistribution will change that. No amount of medication, no amount of counseling will change that. You see, because of the fall and how sin has affected mankind... There will always be people in need. We will always have needs in some way or another. We are a needy people. And the Bible isn't clear also on on what we are supposed to do. The Bible says that we are to help people in need. As followers of Christ, that's not something that we debate. That's not something that that we, we discuss. It's something that we do. We are commanded to help people in need. Proverbs 14, 31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. If we oppress, we neglect, we avoid the needy, the Bible says we're showing contempt for God. But when we step in, when we intervene, when we help the needy, the Bible says that we are honoring God. Romans chapter 12 verse 13 says, Take care 
of God's needy people and welcome strangers into your home. That seems kind of unusual. You take care of the needy, you welcome the strangers. Well, the reason you welcome the stranger is because there are times that the stranger is needy. It's not just the people that you know. It's not just the people who are part of the family of faith that we help. There are times that we step in and we intervene and we minister to that stranger. A good example is in Luke chapter 10, the parable of, of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? Remember it? Some, a guy was walking down the road. He was, he was attacked by robbers. He was beat up. He was left in the ditch for dead. And, and three religious people walked by and did nothing. They did not respond to the need. But a Samaritan walked by and he stopped. He put himself at risk. He allowed his life to be interrupted. He put himself out by putting that, that man that was beaten on his donkey. He took him in, put him up in a hotel and said, I will take care of the expense that is intervening in a person's life and ministering to their needs. I want you to listen to what Job said in Job chapter 31. To be honest with you, I've read the book of Job multiple times, and, and yet this passage has never jumped off the page to me until this week as I was preparing for this message and I was researching what the Bible said about needs. I want you to listen to what Job said in Job 31. He said, if I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared him as would a father and from my birth I guided the widow, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that, that I had influence in court, then, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. Do you understand what Job is saying? He is speaking to a variety of needs. The orphaned, the widow, the poor, the hungry, those without clothes. And what he says is this. If there has ever been a time that I had the means to step in and meet that need and I didn't, then let my arm fall off. Let it break at the shoulder joint. And then he said this. He said, because I dread standing before God if I haven't done that. What he is saying is his relationship with God, his knowledge of God, and the fear of God compels him to step in and meet needs. And so understand, as people who know who God is and those of us who have a relationship with God, we are compelled to meet needs. Now, there are two primary ways that, that we often step in to try to meet needs. The first is through relief. 
And the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people that need relief. Now, now relief is defined this way. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance. So relief is immediate. It is temporary. There's a tragedy that takes place. There is an unexpected loss. There is a disaster. And and all of a sudden there is a need. An example would be the, the flooding that we had back in the fall. I mean, no one expected that. It never happened before in the Midlands. And then all of a sudden, people that you would never think had needs, had needs. People lost their homes. People lost their places of employment. People lost their transportation. People had needs. Someone works hard. They're providing for their family. They go into work. And they discover that the plant is shutting down. (laughs) They didn't expect it. They didn't see it coming. But they have a need. And so there's relief. We step in and we meet an immediate need for a short period of time. The second way that we help is through restoring. Restore. Restoration. Restoration is working with people to restore them to a place of health and wholeness. This isn't something that we do for someone else. Restoration is something that we do with someone else. Restoration is not simply giving someone a handout. Restoration is giving someone a hand up. It is lifting someone up. Now, to be honest with you, restoration takes a whole lot more effort. And restoration is a whole lot more risky. You see, with relief, I can take a week's vacation. I can give a $100 donation and and I can provide relief, right? But restoration doesn't happen like that. Restoration requires time. Restoration requires accountability. Restoration requires discipleship. Restoration requires pouring into the life of someone else. There is no way that we're going to help someone step out of a situation and begin to live God the way God created them to live until we're in it for the long haul. And the challenge is it's easier for us to offer relief than it is for us to offer restoration. And that brings us to the person I want us to focus on this morning. The chronically, consistently, habitually needy. What do we do with this person? For this person, you see, need is not a season. Need is a life. For the chronically needy, need is not a period of time. Need is not a particular problem. Need is a lifestyle. For the chronically needy, it seems like they, they continually, they habitually find themselves in a, a place of need. And to be honest with you, they've often learned how to use and abuse the system to help meet their needs. And the thing about this person is, most often, not all the time, but most often, they're not willing to help themselves. 
they have gotten used to someone else, the system, the government, the church, a family member, intervening in their life and rescuing them. And so they've never had to learn how to live other than to live a needy life. So with this chronically needy person, you always have to ask the question, are they in need because they can't? They literally do not have the mental capacity, the the emotional capacity, the intellectual capacity, the financial capacity, the physical capacity to, to meet these needs, or are they chronically in need because they won't? I read this week that some people are EGR people, extra grace required people. And that's the chronically needy people. There's a movie, and it's an older movie. Bob Murray is in it. It's entitled, What About Bob? And it's about one of these people. I want you to watch this clip. Do not see patients on vacation ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Now, getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on. I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Check it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob, please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob, need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay, me. Okay. Please. All right, all right, please. all right. Have you met Bob? Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. And we laugh at that clip. But the tragedy is our world is filled with people like that. And the fact of the matter is needy people drain you of your energy because they constantly require your attention, your affection, your affirmation. In fact, they are desperate for any type of support that you can give them when they feel like they are in that need. And they're generally demanding of our time and our effort. And, and thus, it gets tiring to be around them. And if there comes a point that, that you decide, I can't do it anymore, and you ignore them or you avoid them, then you hurt them by rejecting them. And they become spiteful. They become vengeful. They become vindictive. Some people have referred to these chronically needy people as emotional vampires. There's even a book by that title out there. They will suck the life out of you. I mean, we've, we've all met them, haven't we? I mean, they may be in our family. They may just be a friend. But I mean, we give and 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 literally, they are sucking the life out of us. Now, now I've discovered that, that these chronically needy people typically fall into one of four categories. You have the incurably insecure person. And they're constantly wondering whether everything is okay between the two of you. 
You see them at church, and you say, hey, how you doing? But that's it. You don't speak to them any more than that. Or God forbid, you're doing something else, and you don't see them. And you don't talk to them. And, and then next week, you, you see them, if they can wait that long. And you discover something's wrong, something's happened. They're just so down and discouraged and depressed. And, and you go, what's wrong? And you go, well, I, I, I guess we're not friends anymore. Why? Well, you didn't talk to me last week. I didn't see you last week. Standing right there in front of you. Have you met people like that? The incurably insecure? I mean, you talk to them and, and you get home, they give you a call and say, Hey, I was just making sure everything's okay. Want to make sure that, you know, we're on the up and up. There isn't anything in between us. The incurably insecure. And, and then you have the victim. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms. You've met that person too. The world is against me. We offer them a solution, but the victim says, yeah, but. And they give all the reasons that the solution will not work for them. And the thing about a victim is this. It's never their fault. It's always the result of someone else or something happened that's out of their control. And then there's the drama queen or the drama king. And the drama queen or the drama king has a flair for the dramatic. Everything that happens, regardless of how small, how minor, how insignificant, is a major deal. It's a catastrophe. Everything that happened is blown out of proportion. Hey, I've got an emergency. What happened? I've got a flat tire. I don't know what to do. Get the jack out of the trunk. Change your tire. How do I do that? You're a 45-year-old man. Learn how to do it. The drama king, the drama queen, and then the financial freeloader. And the first three will drain you emotionally. This one can drain you financially. They always need more money. And usually it's because of poor decision making. Sherry and I were in the, in the parking lot of Target on Harbison the week before Christmas. And we're going there trying to find some last minute things. We had our grandbabies with us. And this guy was out there in the parking lot hitting every single car. And this is what he was saying. He said, I'd need just $10 to finish paying for the hotel room for my family tonight. I've been homeless since the flood. And I need just $10 to finish paying for the hotel room for tonight. Now, the man had a bag. He had just bought something. And what he had just bought was a carton of cigarettes. Now, I got to tell you, I, I don't smoke. And if you do, that's between you and your lungs. But, but my understanding is a carton of cigarettes, they're kind of expensive. And they're expensive even though they're cheaper here than they are in other places around America. I mean, 20 bucks or something like that. 
you, you know, I wanted to tell the man, and it was before Christmas. I wasn't harsh. My wife said, you should have told him. I said, no, I was in the Christmas spirit. But I, but I wanted to tell the man, hey, I'll buy those cigarettes for $10. That's what I wanted to tell That's what I should have told him. I'll buy those cigarettes for $10. You need $10, I'll buy you cigarettes for $10. Now, he wants to put up his family in a hotel, and yet somehow, some way, he has money. And you know the thing, he could have said, well, somebody bought these for me. Well, tell him you don't want them. You want $10. You see, that's the financial freeloader. And there's a tension that comes from these chronically needy people. How do we help them without enabling them, right? Because regardless of whether they're the incurably insecure, they're the victim, they're the drama queen, the drama queen, they're the financial freeloader, how do we help them? Because regardless of whether they are chronically needy or not, as believers in Jesus Christ, our desire should be to help them. And so how do we help them without enabling them? Now, this is what some of you would say. Well, it's, my, it's not my job to, to find out why they have the need, and it's not my job to do this. I'm just going to meet that immediate need. If they're asking for money, I'm going to give it. If they need a ride, I'm going to give it. If they need somebody to talk to, regardless of what time of the day it is, I'm going to give it to them. And that's your heart, and, and you think that you're doing that out of a heart of kindness and compassion, but you're not. Look at me. Look at me. You are enabling them. And you are making them co-dependent on you. And though you may think that you are helping them, in reality, you are hurting them. And, and then there are others of you, like myself. And see, I'm being transparent with you. There are others of you, like myself. I mean, you've got a radar detector. I mean, you were born with it. It's just one of those things God gave you. It's a gift that he gave you. And, and man, you can, you can spot those chronically needy people from 200 yards away. And, and if you're like that, then your, your response to the chronically needy is, when you see them at the distance, you hide. Or hightail it. I mean, you act like you're on the phone. You shut your door and you turn off the lights. And you get under your desk. You avoid that person at all cost. And the fact of the matter is, both of those ways are wrong, aren't they? Because the Bible makes it clear that, that God loves the needy people. God ministers to the needy people. God wants to help and restore the needy people. And, and if we know the Lord, and we've experienced his grace and mercy, and we recognize in some way, at some time, though it may not be extreme, we're going to have needs then we're going to want to learn how to, to meet needs of these chronically needy people without enabling them so that we're not just providing relief so they could continually come back for more and more and more, 
but we're restoring them to that place of health and wholeness, right? So how do we do that? Well, well, let me just say to you that there's no easy-to-follow formula that works every time. But I believe there are principles that God's Word gives us. And I want to give you four principles as we wrap this up this morning. And these principles are vital. And let me just tell you, if you will apply these principles, they will change not only how you look at people, and you will have more compassion, but it will change people as God uses you. Here's principle number one. Offer people what they need, not what they want. Did you hear me? You offer people what they need, not what they want. There's a story in Acts 3 that tells us this. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And there's this man who had been crippled from birth. And he was there begging. That's what he did. And, and he was good at it. Because there were three primary places that people would beg. The most lucrative was the temple gate. Because when people were going to the temple, they had more of a giving spirit. Because the Bible talked about giving alms to the poor. And so he knew where to get. He had this down pat. And he was there. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. And he was begging for money. And he assumed because he had come to believe that was his need. But was his need really money? No. His real need was what? His real need was what? He needed to be able to walk. He needed to be able to be restored. He needed to be able to be made whole. And Peter and John said this. They said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. The man wanted money, but that wasn't his need. His need was to be able to be made whole. Whole. And we have to ask ourselves as we are um, intervening in people's lives is this. What is their real need? Lord, help me identify their real need. Because people are going to tell you what they want. They're not going to tell you what they need. An example. Someone comes up and says, I need money. Well, let me just say that money may be the short-term answer, but it may not be that they need money. What they need is a job, a J-O-B. They're sitting at their home playing video games, watching soap operas, instead of pounding the pavement trying to find a job. And so they don't need money, they need a job. And if you don't help them find a job or you don't help train them so they can get a job, they're going to always be in what? Need. So you help them find a job and, and they say, well, that job's beneath me. Look, look at me. For a person that's sitting at home begging for money, no job is beneath them. Amen or oh my? You help them find a job. You help them learn work skills. You teach them a work ethic. If they're the kind of person that's chronically being let go because they can't hold a job, something's wrong. 
their job is, their need isn't money. Their need is, is becoming healthy. Someone comes to you and says, I need $500 to make my car payment. I mean, my first thought is, I've been married for 32 years. I've never had a $500 car payment. What kind of car do you have? And they begin to say, well, I got this kind of car. Their need isn't a $500 car payment. Their need is sell that car and get a cheaper car. They they may need to learn how to manage a budget. They may need to learn how to get out of debt. You see, all too often we give people what they want instead of what they need. Someone comes to you and says, I, I, just, I just need to talk to you. And, and as a pastor, you find those people that, I mean, they just want to meet with you every single week and they don't have anything to say. They just need someone to talk to. And, and, and some pastors just spend their entire ministry listening to needy people. And understand those pastors are enabling. Because that needy person thinks, if I just get close to my pastor, then I'm going to be healthy. No, you're not. Your pastor can't meet your needs. There's only one person that can meet your needs, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. People come to you and say, well, I just, need a, I just need a good relationship to make me complete. If you think a relationship is going to make you complete, you're going to make the person that you think is making you complete miserable. Because no one can complete you. Only Jesus can. And so you have to find out what the legitimate need is. You give people what they need, not what they want. Second thing, we've got to hurry through this, but you set healthy boundaries. And if you need some help in figuring this out, there's a book, Boundaries, by Henry Cloud. And you can buy that book, you can get it online, you can read it on your nook, I mean, whatever you want to do. I mean, and you can learn some tools on how to set boundaries. Jesus even set boundaries. In Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 1, it says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everybody is looking for you. And I mean, I imagine Jesus, and it doesn't say this, just look and say, oh, golly, can I not get a break? I mean, I thought I found a solitary place. They found me. You see, even Jesus... Set up those boundaries. If you're going to help people get healthy, you're going to have to remain healthy. Amen? And if you don't learn how to set some healthy boundaries, then you're never going to be able to do that. Now, there are two areas in which you need to learn how to set boundaries, and we don't have time to to develop these, but let me give them to you. The first one is time boundaries. You need to set time boundaries. There are going to be some people that, that always always seem to think that they can invade your time. And there are times that you need to say, no, I'm sorry. You can set up an appointment this this week or you can do this. And there are always those emergency situations. But here's the thing, look at me. With the chronically needy, everything, say that word everything, everything. Everything is an emergency. With the chronically needy, everything is an emergency. And so you have to set those boundaries. 
I've been happily married for, for 32 years. I mean, I love my wife, and when I say happily married, it doesn't mean that we haven't had some ups and downs. We have. We've had some knockdown dryouts. But And I love my wife. And one of the reasons that we have a good marriage is because I've set time boundaries. On my calendar, I have an appointment. And that appointment is with my wife. And, and understand, I don't need to tell you who my appointment is with if I have an appointment with my wife. I just need to tell you I've already got a scheduled appointment that's vital. Because if I don't keep my marriage healthy, then I am going to be a lousy pastor to you. Time boundaries. The second boundary is resource boundaries. You have to set these resource boundaries, regardless of whether it's with a family member or whoever else. Sometimes you may have to say, I will help you when... And you set those boundaries. You do this, 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 and I will help you. Or I will help you until. And you put a deadline on it. I will help you until this time, and you have to stop it. Because if you don't, they're going to always come back for more and more and more. And remember, the chronically needy are very good about throwing you into a guilt trip. And so what you've got to do is you've got to stand your ground. Let me tell you, if it's a family member, when it comes to time or resources, it's going to be as tough as anything in the world. But if you continually give, 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 you're not helping them, you're hurting them, and you're making them unhealthy. So you've got to set healthy boundaries. The third thing, allow them to face the consequences of their decisions. Wow, that's a tough one, isn't it? There are times that you have to allow people to face the consequences of their decisions. Don't try to be a superhero because when you intervene in every circumstance and rescue people, listen to me, this is important, you are circumventing the Word of God and the will of God. Did you hear me? When you step in always rescuing people, you are circumventing the Word of God and the will of God. Let me give you two verses. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. What is a rule? Rules are enforced, right? So Paul was telling the church at Thessalonica, this is one of your church rules. When I was with you, I gave you this rule. If a man does not work, he will not what? Say that. If a man doesn't work, he will not what? Wow. Who said that? Did some socialists say that? No. Did some hard-hearted political person say that? No. God said that in his word. Now, there are those people that can't work. And the Bible talks about how we are to handle widows and orphans and those who can't. But the Bible is saying if a person can work and they don't work, quit subsidizing them. Stop it. When we were in Florida, we, we didn't just give out money or resources. We developed a work program. And when someone would come to our church and they would say, you know, we're traveling down 95 because our church was right off of 95. When we're traveling down 95, you know, we ran out of money. We need a place to stay or, you know, we, we need this or we need that. I went, man, that is great. We'd love to help you. And we've got some work. 
that we would really need done around the church. And it wasn't um, skilled labor. It was paint. We, we always had some painting that needed to be done or things like that. And we said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll pay you at $10 an hour to do this work. And the people would look at you like a, a deer in headlights. Aren't you a church? Well, absolutely, we're a church. Well, I just want some money. We'd love to give you some money. We've got some work. And it's amazing. In four years of doing that program, we probably had three people that took us up on it. Everybody else left mad because we wanted to pay them to do something and they didn't want to do something. They just wanted money. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from the nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What the Bible is saying here is God designed a system that when we sow bad seeds, we're going to reap bad seeds. And all too often what we do is we see someone about to reap the bad seeds. And what do we do? We step in and we rescue them. We do that as parents, don't we? Our kid has a science project due. It was assigned two months ago. Two days before it's due, they come to us and say, Mama, I got a science project due Wednesday and I haven't started on it yet. And I need to do this and this and this. And here's what Mama and Daddy do. They go online. Or they go to the library and they basically do the project for their kid. And what you're teaching your kid is this. I don't need to do because mommy and daddy are going to bail me out. And that's why they're sleeping in their bedroom at 35 years of age. In your house. Playing video games and wanting to know why you don't have any more cereal in the cupboard. You've enabled them. You've got to allow people to reap the consequences of their decisions. And one final thing, and that's this. Never forget that God is the answer. Sometimes we need to understand that the best help is no help at all. Because we need people to see that Jesus is their Savior. Psalms chapter 7, 70 verse 5, it says, Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me. O God, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. We can't do everything for people. We have to allow God to intervene and do what only God can do. In Psalm 22 verse 24, it says this, For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. What does God say? God says, when the needy come to me asking for my help, I will give them my help. But my help comes my way. But if they will let me give it, I won't only provide relief for a moment. I will provide restoration for a life. 
And you see, that's what we're to do with the chronically needy people. We're not to provide relief primarily. We're to step in, find the real need, and work to restore them to a place of wholeness. Because if we continue to provide the relief, all we're doing is enabling. And the cycle is going to continue and continue and continue. And one day they're going to stand before God. And God's going to say, I want you to see the plan I had for you. And it's going to be an amazing plan that is so much better than their chronic need. And the tragedy is you and I who have stepped in and rescued over and over and over. Because we've been unwilling to do the hard work of restoring Which means finding the need, not the want. Allowing them to experience the consequence of their decision. And and all of these things. and, And because we don't do this, they never come to that point where they discover their full potential. So when we see needy people, let's minister. But let's don't enable. Now I want us to have a time of prayer. The fact of the matter is we're all needy. There's some of you here right now who have needs. And my prayer for you is that God will show you clearly what kind of need that is. There's some of you who have children who are in need. You have grandchildren who are in need. And your heart is breaking for them. And over and over and over again, you've stepped in and you've rescued them. That's not what they need. They need restoration that comes through God working in their life. As we allow them to experience the consequences of their sin and we see them restored to that place of wholeness. So bow your head and close your eyes. And this is what I want us to do this this morning. I want us to first of all just take a moment. And silently I want us to pray that God will give us the strength. To begin to truly minister to people in need. And not enable them. So let's do that. Just for a moment. Just pray that prayer. And pray it however you You feel led. Now, I imagine that many of us, I know I do, many of us have someone who is in need. In our lives. They're on our heart. We love them. We care about them. And now we need to determine what is the biblical thing to do in helping them discover their potential. And so ask God what you need to do there. 
And then finally, pray by name for that person or those people. Lift them up to the throne of God. Pray that God will show himself to them. And they will hit rock bottom so that they will look up and see the only one who can truly help them. Father God, so easy to sit back and prejudge those who are needy. It's easy to sit back and, and judge those who are enabling. Until, Father, we have someone who is needy. And we long to rescue them. Father God, give us your wisdom. Our hearts are broken for those we love who are in need. Who are living a life of need. And they just are unwilling to turn to you. Oh, Father, set them free. Lord God, I pray that you will take the blinders off their eyes. Father, I pray they will become so desperate that they turn to you. I pray, Lord, like the prodigal son, as they are in that pig pen, eating that pig slop, they will look up and they will realize that even the servants have it better in the father's house. Oh, Lord, touch the hearts of those who are in need. And be with us and give us wisdom to know how to minister compassionately, lovingly, but yet wisely. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.